Alright everyone, welcome to StoryWell, the podcast that focuses on people and their stories. My name is Nathan and I am going to be your host. Now as this is StoryWell's inaugural episode, I guess we have a little bit of explaining to do. We're going to go ahead and jump into what StoryWell is, the concept behind it, and what our purpose is in being here. Now, as I mentioned, StoryWell is the podcast that focuses on people and their stories. Why do we have such an emphasis on story? Why does it take up half of the podcast title? Well, I believe that stories are very, very important to us as human beings. Because how do we record history? We tell stories. Now, throughout history, we've had many different ways of telling stories. And even most recently, one of our favorite mediums of stories is movies. But you look back before movies, we had books. Back before books, we had scrolls, and before scrolls, we had the word of mouth. We had vocal, oral stories that we told to one another. And I think that this is a tradition that isn't quite worth giving up. I think that there's a lot of value in people telling their stories. Now, why do we have a whole podcast just to focus on these stories? It's because I believe that everybody has something interesting to say. And this podcast is a platform for those people to share their interesting stories. Now, this is a particularly easy job for me because, well, with this, I don't have any agenda in sharing these stories. There's no secret gotcha moment. There's no hidden moral high ground that I'm trying to bring you to or drag you down to. This is just stories. Sometimes they're just stories for the sake of being stories. Not everything has to have a lesson. Not everything has to have a selling point. As one of my favorite fictional characters, Dwight Schrute, said, not everything is a lesson, sometimes you just fail. In that same breath, I believe that not every story is a moral statement. Sometimes it's just a story. Sometimes it's just a laugh. Sometimes it's just a time filler. And some stories are a complete waste of time, but I still believe that they're worth telling. Because it's only a waste of time to the people who don't really want to listen. The smallest modicum of value that the most pointless story has is that it is a story. It is a contribution to history. Regardless of what it brings to the table, it is history, as it has been lived, recognized, and relayed to an audience. If there are no stories, history falls into the hands of statistics and data, data which can be misconstrued, debated, or even ignored. Ultimately, this version of history has no character. It's soulless. It has no value other than the numerical digits that they represent. Stories give life to history. Stories make the recollection of our human history something interesting, and they prove that we as humans are something special. We are an image of something greater than the world around us. I believe that stories, among other numerous things, make people special, so I want to highlight them. And of course, everybody has their own negative experience with with stories, not necessarily the content within them, but everybody has that one family member who has just one good story. And every time you see them, every time something even close to that topic is brought up, they do have to mention it. They have to tell that story. Now my intention is that we will get to have some of those people on. We will get to have some of those people who just have that one interesting story. But to the people who have never heard that story before, it could be great. It could be something mind-blowing to them. It could be the greatest story they've ever heard. So we don't want to rule out the fact that somebody's told that story a time or two from them being able to share it. 
Now, with that being said, uh, I am a person who loves to tell stories personally. I don't just love to listen to stories. I love to tell them. I love to talk and I love to speak. Public speaking isn't one of my greatest fears. It's one of my greatest joys. I love to talk in front of people. And the easiest way to do that is to tell stories from my lives. And so that's that's what I intend to do here today. I want to share a story with you that was life-changing to me. I have told this story to uh, countless people. I've told it a good number of times. But I don't think that that's ever something worth stopping telling that story for. Now, maybe if you've met me in real life, you have heard the story before, but to somebody this could be completely new. Somebody could relate to it, or somebody could learn something from it. Not necessarily my intention, but we'll go ahead and jump into it right away. Now, for this story, I want to take you all the way back to when I was in grade school. I'm a senior in college now, so this is a long, long time ago particularly back to the fifth grade. Now, the fifth grade was an interesting year for our school because our school wasn't the highest funded, it wasn't in the best part of town, but we had a bunch of kids who, just like any other group of kids, loved the playground. Now, we had had a pretty run-of-the-mill playground up until this point. We had teeter-totters, swing sets, a kind of jungle gym. We had a very high-risk tire swing. Great equipment for kids around that era. Now, in the fifth grade, we had, as a school, gotten a little lump sum of money to renovate the playground, which was fantastic news. Telling kids that you're going to get a new playground, that is an amazing thing. But, as kids, we didn't quite understand that that did come with the fact that stuff would have to be torn down before new stuff came up. And so for a good chunk of our year, we had the three surfaces to play on. They had taken down all of the equipment, so you could either play on the asphalt, you could play on the sand, or you could play in the grass. There wasn't anything there, but, you know, we came up with the game to kick the ball over the telephone wire. That was a favorite of ours for a while. Now, over the summer, they started putting up the new equipment, and me and my buddies, we lived really close to the school, so whenever we weren't in school, we would get together, ride our bikes down to the school, and we'd go play on the playground equipment, shoot basketballs, we would run races, whatever we needed to do to keep ourselves busy. And that summer, going into the sixth grade, I remember seeing what they were building. They were building brand new equipment, they had just installed the tire-like rubber material that you could pick up and throw it at your friends. And so we were getting the real deal. We were getting a brand new playground, and it was going to be awesome. Yet when that first day of school rolled around, me and my buddies were eager to get outside and go look at all that new equipment, but the time came for recess and the time passed. Being the first day of school, it was some odd schedule that we weren't actually allowed to go out and play on the playground equipment, and we had our parents waiting for us to pick us up right after school. So the first day was a disappointment. We didn't quite get to play on the playground, but the next day we were determined was going to be different. And so that second day, I woke up a little bit late, as I always did, and we were running behind as a family, so I had to skip breakfast and head to school. But it did not matter to me because I was going to play on the playground no matter what. And so when the time came, me and my buddies were sitting at the door. We were ready to go outside as soon as they would let us. And as soon as they opened that door, we sprinted to check out all the new equipment. Now, there were tons of things. This was a pristine 
playground for the time. It was full of brand new things, equipment that we had never even seen before, and it was all shiny new metal. But there was one thing that stuck out to us. It was a brand new set of monkey bars. Now, monkey bars aren't necessarily special to any one playground. Uh, they've been around for as long as playgrounds have been around, as far as I can tell. Uh, there's really nothing special about them, except for kids at that age, there's something a bit like a challenge to it. You want to know how fast you can go across the monkey bars. How many rungs can you skip at a time? And more importantly, can you do those things better, faster, stronger than your friends? Now, when we saw the set of monkey bars, there was something a little bit off-putting about it. First of all, we noticed that they were way too high for us. Again, we're grade schoolers. This is sixth grade, which I know is middle school for some, but for us, I mean, you're still young. And they were eight and a half feet off the ground. Now, that's a, a little bit lower than a full basketball goal, but this was scarily high for us as young grade schoolers which wouldn't have necessarily been a problem had there been a proper ladder up to those rungs. But the second thing that we noticed was that there was no ladder up to it. Instead, leading up to it, there were a series of three toadstools that you could jump from one to the other. But even the highest toadstool right next to the monkey bars was only about a foot and a half off the ground. So as a grade schooler, you would have to run, jump across those toadstools, and leap up to grab onto those monkey bars. Now, I considered myself to be an exceptionally athletic human being at that time, so I thought, oh, this would be no problem, no challenge at all. I'll just go ahead and make this look easy. And so I was standing there with my buddy Yavin, and I start running, and I jump, and I grab onto that very first rung, and I grab onto it, no problem. But the problem came after I grabbed onto the rung. You see, what I didn't realize was that the rung itself wasn't welded into the base. It was only screwed in, which doesn't inherently sound like a huge issue until you realize that you're jumping from a far ways and you're creating a lot of momentum that swings kids forward. And kids like me would be unprepared for that sensation, so they immediately let go, completely horizontal in the air, and now suspended about eight and a quarter feet above the ground. So I did what I believe any child would do. I start flailing around, trying to get myself to be repositioned in the air, but ultimately fail, and my right arm hits the ground first, and then I fall on top of that same arm. Now, I remember distinctly hearing what sounded like a huge crack or a pop, and I could have sworn that I had just broken my back and I would be paralyzed for the rest of my life. Luckily, in just a couple of seconds, I sat up and realized that that wasn't the case, but it didn't help that that sound still happened. And so I was in a good amount of pain just all over, but then I looked down to my side and I realized that my right hand is cupping my right elbow. Yeah, it looks like I just have a brand new hinge in my arm, a whole new joint right in the middle of my forearm. By hitting the ground first and then falling on top of my arm, I had snapped my radius and my ulna directly in half. And uh, my buddy Gavin, who was standing there with me, sees this and does the ever-so-helpful thing of running away over to the field to throw up. Now, this, of course, wasn't exactly helpful to me, as I am now sitting there by myself, and I have a broken arm. Now, I'm acting purely out of adrenaline, and I stand up, and I get my left hand under my arm, and I start running towards the door. 
Now I go inside and I run all the way down the hallway and I run straight to the nurse's office. Now our nurse, I had actually come to know quite well. I was a very clumsy kid. I got hurt all the time, so I was in the nurse's office pretty frequently. But she also had a tendency to carry some pretty awful moods. Now today was an especially bad day for her, I guess, because I ran inside and I'm holding my arm and she can see that I'm holding back tears. I was being super tough. I didn't cry. But as I'm holding back tears, she says, oh, did you break your arm? And I just nod. I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure I did. And I'm holding my elbow with my left arm. So I'm completely supporting my right arm. So she can't tell that it's got a brand new joint in it. But she says, oh, well, let me see. And she holds out her hand as for me to give her my arm. <laughs> but I, I shake my head and I just say, I, I think it's broken. She just keeps insisting, just hand it over. She's got her arm stretched out in front of her. And so I kind of hold both my arms out, refusing to let go of my right arm. And she grabs my wrist and she holds it out to her. And so she's holding my right wrist, and my arm is straight out in front of me, and as she does that, she just sees my forearm droop in the middle, and it starts to do a little swinging motion. And that was one of the first times I ever heard an adult swear. <laughs> yeah, uh, she quickly realized that my arm was broke, broke, and she adequately freaked out and tried to help me in whatever way she can. Now... Like I said, we didn't have the nicest school on the planet, but we had a pretty decent school, and I figure we would have some sort of aid or assistance for a broken bone. However, this was the second day of school, and in the prior two days, one being before school and one being after school, there were two kids that had done this exact same thing and broken their arm on the exact same monkey bars. And so, through help of the school, the one splint that we had was gone. <laughs> and so, I saw the nurse rip up a cardboard box that she had and grab an ace bandage, and she made me a nice little splint. But uh, it was not a fun time in the nurse's office. There were a couple other teachers that came in because they saw what happened, and they came in after me. And some teachers who knew my parents were trying to get a hold of them. But my dad was out of town, but my mom was in town. And so she started making her way over to me, and she got there, and I still hadn't cried. I was very adamant about it. I wasn't going to cry, but it was very, very painful as the adrenaline was starting to wear off. But eventually, my mom gets there, and she says, All right, well, let's take you to the hospital. Now, the hospital would be a little bit of an exaggeration. We went to our same-day care clinic. Because it wasn't an emergency. We knew what had happened. It wasn't life-threatening. It was just a broken arm. But she loads me into the car, and we're on our way, and I'm just trying not to pass out because I'm not letting myself cry. I'm a very tough sixth grader. But eventually we make it to the clinic, and our next problem ensues. She tries to get me out of my seat, but the seat belt is stuck. And it is stuck to the point that we think we're going to have to cut the seatbelt. Now, as my mom is struggling in the clinic parking lot trying to get me out of the car, a few people from the clinic run out and they're trying to help too. And now there's four people standing around the car door trying to get me out. And I'm trying to just sit still, be good, and let them work around me. But again, I am sitting there with a broken arm sitting on a piece of cardboard and two ace bandages. So I'm really not having a great time, but I'm trying to just stick with it. 
And eventually somebody pulls out a knife to cut the seatbelt, but my mom's like, here, let's just have him slide under. Because this was a brand new car. Don't want to ruin the seatbelt just because of a broken arm. So eventually they just feed the seatbelt as much as they can out, and then I slide underneath both parts, and we get out and head into the clinic. Now, apparently everybody who had an emergency that day decided not to go to the emergency room, but go to the clinic. And so we get there, and the place is packed. And it doesn't quite seem that way, but we figured it was packed as it took us four hours of sitting there before we could go back into a room. Now, as I mentioned, I was getting a little lightheaded because that morning I wasn't able to eat breakfast, and recess for us that day was right before lunch, and so I didn't get to eat lunch. And so as I'm sitting there for four hours, dinner time comes and goes, and I still haven't eaten. But eventually we make it back into a room, and my mom runs and she finds a vending machine, and she grabs me some Lunchables, which is awesome. It's a lifesaver at that point. But even though we made it to a room after four hours of sitting, it is still another three-hour process before we actually get things done. So the first thing that we have to do is we have to go get x-rays done. Now, I didn't necessarily understand the necessity of it at that time because I was like, yeah, we can see it's broken. It's pretty easily visibly broken. But understanding now they have to figure out exactly how it's broken, how they can fix it, yada, yada, yada. But we make it into the x-ray room, and my mom's with me. But this nurse is having a very similar day to the school nurse, just not having a great one. So we get in there, and she sets my arm on the counter. They get the little light above it, and she says, can you move your arm a little bit to the right? And I say, no. And she says, I just need you to move it a little bit to the right. Not a lot, just a little bit. And I said, well, I I can't really move it at all. It's it's broken. She's like, I'm not asking you to move it a whole lot, just a little bit to the right. And she's starting to get fed up with me. But I'm, again, a sixth grader with a broken arm. And so I, I don't know how to politely say I can't move my arm at all because it is very broken. Visibly, you can see that. And she grabs her pencil, puts it right on my wrist on the left side, and tries to nudge my arm to the right. The bottom half of my forearm does not move, but the top half of my forearm, including my hand, moves to the right, and she freaks out, and therefore the second adult in my life cusses in the same day. Now, my mom is being a trooper, she's rubbing my back and trying not to throw up herself, but eventually we get the x-rays done, the nurse even apologizes, and then sends us back to our room. And we sit there, and we sit there, and we sit there, but eventually the doctor comes in and he says, all right, well, I took a look at your x-rays and it turns out it is broken, as if we couldn't tell that already, but we decided just to hear him out. And he says, we're definitely going to need to do surgery and we're wanting to know, have you eaten yet today? Because if you haven't, we can go ahead and do the surgery now, get it over with and get you healing as quick as possible. Now I was thinking, oh, this is great. I haven't eaten all day except for just before we went into the x-ray room. My mom had gotten me a Lunchable, and therefore the surgery plans for that day were ruined. So I had to grab some medicine and some antibiotics and go home with the same broken arm I went there with. Because the next available day for surgery was not for another three days. So I just had to sit there with my pitiful broken arm, which I did, 
And then eventually the day of surgery came, I got two plates and ten screws, a forearm mostly made of titanium, and a lesson learned. At least until my sophomore year of high school when I broke the same arm just a little bit above the first fracture while skateboarding in a half pipe. But that is another story for another time. Now, I want to thank you for visiting StoryWell and hearing out my very first story. Now, my story is only one of countless ones that we hope to feature on this podcast. Now, I hope that you'll join me in future episodes where we bring on other people, we can hear their stories, and maybe even one of you will be able to visit me one day and we can hear your story on the air. Now, again, thank you for visiting us, and I hope to see you in the very next episode. We'll catch you next in StoryWell. My name is Nathan, and I'll see you next time.